doth thine haveth a true story to sendeth my way, uh, go to asTheRavenDreams.com slash submit or check the links down below. Thank you. As a child, I was raised in a small, tight-knit town. I hated it. Everyone knew you, and there was no such thing as a secret. If you tell one person, you'll hear it from someone else in two days tops. I had a group of four or five friends max that I might share things with, that I could actually trust. Hell, some things, I couldn't even tell my little sister without getting something on her. Otherwise, we would just use it as leverage on each other. That's what makes this situation even crazier to me. Our school classes were pretty normal, in curriculum and size in my opinion. We had maybe 10 to 15 of us in a classroom. No one outside of our town was interested in going to our school, and as soon as they were given the opportunity... Kids in high school that had cars would get to choose to go to school outside of our district to get out of here, or people would move out before then. I was not so lucky. My family was far from wealthy, so we stayed in our town till I was old enough to move out. Anyways, back to the classes. Obviously, being a teenager, relationships are bound to happen. There weren't many to choose from, and some may have even been a year younger or older than you. I dated a few different girls, but there was one that I was with for about two years. For privacy reasons, I'll call her Macy. From the outside, Macy was a fun girl to be around. She was tall, had about shoulder-length dark hair, and dark brown eyes with freckles. She could talk to anyone. She was definitely outgoing, and I never really saw a mean side to her. I think she would strive to be everyone's friend. She was just part of a group of friends for the longest time. She wore makeup and dressed more feminine, but also loved going down by the river with me and a few of our friends to catch things, destroy things, and maybe enjoy some drinking. It was over the summer that I really got to know her more. I know her dad was a drunk and her mom worked a lot, so she didn't see them much. She came over to our house a lot for dinner, and sometimes even slept in our living room. There was one time that she had gotten into an argument with her father. He had grabbed her and started choking her when her mother finally convinced him to let her go but her mother told her it was best for her to leave for a while. She came over in tears, and I helped her calm down, and I think that really solidified our relationship in a weird way. I was angry. Now, my parents weren't perfect, but they never hurt us kids. How could a parent do that to their own child? It was worse when the cops showed up and did absolutely nothing. They showed up to their house, took him in, he said he was sorry, and was able to come home after sobering up. Like, that really changed anything, though. She practically lived with us at times. She slept on the couch. Sometimes she'd fall asleep in my room, and I would sleep in the living room. 
We acted like a normal couple for the most part. Hanging out with friends together, always walking to class together, things like that. But after a while, I started seeing a different side of her. I noticed that some of the smallest things would set her off. If a friend teased her about something, like throwing a ball weird, and I didn't immediately defend her, she would be pissed. It started as her just ignoring me for the rest of the night, then she would complain to me in private about how she was embarrassed. But then, it started to become more public. She would call me out in front of our friends and even my parents, and then storm off. This was my first real relationship, so I didn't really know how to react to it. I'd go through the motions, apologize, and we'd make up and be fine. However, it always seemed to get worse. The more serious fights would happen when it was just us, she would kick things, punch things, scream if she could, and sometimes would even hit me. It was usually just punching me in the chest or smacking me in the face, but it was still unusual. I thought, surely this had to do with her father being the person he was. Maybe this is what she did because she was used to it. So, I would do what I could to calm her down, but it stopped working after a while. I would have to lock her out of my room, or I would leave until she calmed down. But of course, that's when the accusations would fly. She would start getting loud, and she would push me while at school, and it was embarrassing for me at that point. So, I would just walk away. For some reason, when I did this, she thought I was trying to hide from my other girlfriend. She started accusing me of cheating on her, and she would always show up at the door of my classroom and wait and see if I walked out with another girl. We had a group project in one of my classes, and I was paired with my friend Jeff and some girl that I didn't know too well. When I was leaving the room, she punched me in the face and started saying that she finally caught me. I remember the girl just looking horrified as she tried leaving without Macy noticing her. People were starting to gather, but she had her eyes locked on and then jumped on this girl's back and started slamming her around. I managed to get her off of the girl and told her that we were done. I remember calling her a psycho or something equally hurtful, because the look in her eyes changed to sorrow and she ran off. I, of course, got called to the office and had to explain what happened. Macy ended up being expelled. I told them it was my fault, hoping the other girl didn't get into any trouble, and then I ended up being suspended for the quarter. I finished my suspension as awkward as it was, and returned to the school to be the center of discussion for everyone. I didn't get to hear much on what happened to Macy, except for what my friends knew, which, again, wasn't much until I returned. I heard her parents were forced to put her into therapy, and possibly some kind of school for troubled teens, but 
I never saw her again. And that happened about 18 years ago. Right after high school, I left that town. I wanted to go somewhere that was a lot more lively and meet people that I hadn't known my whole life. My sister and I even inspired our parents to get out of there a few years ago. However, they still surprise me with the amount of information, news, and gossip they tell me about the people that live there. That? Well, that's where it gets crazy. Around the time of our 10-year high school reunion, people started contacting me about getting together. I thought, why the hell not, and decided to start making plans to visit. However, a few weeks after that, I got a frantic call from my mom late at night, telling me there had been a fire in our old town. She told me that it was Macy's house, and the terrifying part? Her parents died in the fire. My father was good friends with one of the cops there, and he had told him that Macy was still living there on and off, but she was working the night that it happened, and they had to go pick her up. After the investigation, they had determined that her dad had passed out with a cigarette. He was blitzed, of course, and her mom had actually taken sleeping pills. It was just a bad situation, and I felt sorry for her. I almost wanted to reach out to her, maybe to at least give my condolences, but something told me not to. My mother went to the services, and she said that Macy was just a shell. She just sat in the front pew staring straight ahead until the services ended. Afterwards, she said she was nowhere to be found, so my mother left her card and with the other items and left after that. I never heard about Macy or her life again until last year. This time, my friend actually texted me and sent a link to the local news for our old town. It started as a suspicious fire. Police were called to an old barn that was on fire behind one of the bars. Someone apparently walked out back, smelled the smoke, saw the flames between the trees that separated the property and called 911. After they put out the fire, they found a man's body in there. He had been stabbed multiple times, bludgeoned with a shovel, and then doused in some kind of oil and set on fire. They couldn't ID the guy because he didn't have anything on him. That was crazy enough, right? Not at all. Not for that place. Rumors started flying pretty quickly. People started talking, but not to the police. But that didn't stop them from finding out. That's when my friend started filling in the blanks where the story left off. He still lives there. He actually took over his parents' truck store, so he gets just as much information. The guy ended up being identified as the owner of the bar. They figured this out because his wallet was found in the dumpster at his bar, but his cash was missing. Coincidentally, someone showed up at a different bar, flaunting cash, and buying everyone drinks, saying it was in this guy's honor. Thing is, 
they hadn't publicly announced this guy's identity. So, the police took note of this. The girl was picked up and questioned when she finally confessed to the murder. And, odds are, you know where this is going. It was Macy. She was apparently dating the owner, or at least there was something going on between them. However, he was married. Rumors are that the wife found out. The owner tried to break it off with Macy, and she wasn't having it. Now that she is locked up for this, the rumors are coming back that she may have been involved in her parents' death. So, not only did I date a less-than-stable girl in high school, but she turned out to be a murderer. So, I guess I got lucky at the time. But it does make me think what could have happened if I did reach out to her when her parents passed. What if we didn't move? Could I have been one of her victims? I also think, if this was related to her childhood, and if that could have made a difference as well. One thing I told my friend, though, is that he's going to have to come see me from now on, because I do not want to step back in that place. This isn't as much a small-town horror story as it is a middle-of-nowhere horror story, or a horror story that took place just past a small town. But I think it still qualifies, because it occurred on our way out of said small town. A few years ago, around the summer of 2018, my girlfriend and I came into a bit of money, and we decided that we basically wanted to take a cross-country road trip, Basically, we would drive from Pittsburgh all the way to Las Vegas. We'd spend a few days in Vegas and then drive back. The trip in both directions was going to take around 32 hours total. If we went straight across on I-70, and we would be tasked with driving from PA to Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, and Utah before finally getting to Nevada and then our final destination. We planned to do this over a few days, and we wanted to stop in a few states to get pictures, and just kind of enjoy the Midwest. I know that a lot of people will say that the Midwest is boring, but if you think too hard on it, every state is boring. I think they all have their own personal charm. So, we plotted our whole route, Decided on a few places to stop, and everything was going smoothly. Most of the trip was just driving straight. We were making great time, and this event was really the only thing that stood out. There was one point where we had to stop to get gas, and my girlfriend said that she also wanted to stop and get something to eat. At this point, we were about two-thirds of the way through Kansas, and the next town was a small town called Ellis. Ellis, Kansas is a bit to the west of Hayes, which is actually a decent-sized city for being in literally the middle of nowhere. But Ellis? 
Ellis is pretty much the polar opposite. Small town vibe with pretty much nothing to do or see. But, again, it has its own rustic charm. We pulled into Ellis and we got gas. When I saw a menu for a restaurant that I decided we needed to try, it was a locally owned pizza and Mexican food combination. And I'm kind of a sucker for small town pizza. I grabbed the menu and got back to where my girlfriend was finished filling the tank, and I told her that we had to go. She agreed. It sounded interesting, if nothing else. So we left the station, and we found the small building for this anomaly of a restaurant. Cutting out the details about the food, it was seriously good, though. If you're ever in Ellis, check this place out. You'll find it. It's the only pizza and Mexican food place there is. The visit seemed to be fine for the most part. I was enjoying my lunch, and I thought that she was as well, until I looked up and saw that she had a strange look on her face. Kind of like she was a bit worried. I immediately asked her what was wrong, and she mentioned that there was a guy at a table at the other corner that was staring intently at us. At first, I didn't think much of it, but then I looked back and, sure enough, he was staring. He didn't even make an attempt to look away when I checked. He nodded at me, basically confirming that he knew I saw him. I quickly looked back to my girlfriend and I tried to play it off. Maybe he knew we were tourists and he didn't like the idea of outsiders. Maybe... He thought she was pretty. Maybe he thought I was pretty. Maybe he was just a very angry man by nature. She didn't really buy it. But my attention got pulled away from the situation when the waitress came to the table, asking how we were doing. I told her we were doing well, and then I started to tell her that we were actually from out of town and traveling across the country. As I mentioned this, I tried to pull my girlfriend into the conversation, in hopes to get her mind off of the creep in the corner. It sort of worked. The waitress seemed excited to talk to us about our trip. We explained that we were from Pennsylvania, and that we wanted to drive all the way to Vegas, so that we could see the parts of the country that we otherwise wouldn't have. The conversation between us, all three, was great, she mentioned one or two other places that we should check out. She started talking about the one time that she had gone to Vegas when she was younger. Really? It was just friendly small talk. When we finished talking and she walked away to go do what she had to do, my girlfriend looked back and told me that the guy was gone. Honestly, that was a relief. I was thinking that we could stop worrying about him and... She would calm down to finish her lunch. I really thought that was going to be the end of that situation. That we would leave, get back on the highway, and just continue driving for a few more hours before we checked into a hotel somewhere. Unfortunately, as fate would have it, that's not how things went. At least, not right away. After lunch... We got back in the car and we hopped back up to I-70 and started out of town. 
It was less than a couple miles down the way when we spotted what looked like a minivan stopped in the middle of the road. Long ways. It looked like they were in the middle of a U-turn on the highway and just stopped. Or maybe their car had died. Either way, I slowed down as I approached, and I stopped the car a bit of a distance from the actual van, a couple car lengths at most. After a few seconds of just sitting there, I noticed that there were two guys sitting in the van, one in the driver's seat and one in the passenger seat, and they looked like they were discussing something, or arguing. It was hard to tell. Then, after a few more moments, they look back at us and get out of the car. That's when my girlfriend said, that guy that just got out of the passenger side, that's the guy from the pizza place that kept staring at me. I thought maybe she was mistaken, and maybe she was just being a bit paranoid because she was freaked out by the whole thing, but then, the guy walked around the van, same flannel shirt, blue baseball cap, and torn jeans as the weirdo from before. It was at that moment that it clicked what this was. Or more so what it likely was. These guys were looking to do something aggressive toward us. Obviously, I didn't know the specifics. I didn't know if they were going to rob us, steal our car, kidnap us, etc., but it wasn't going to be good. Everything seemed to be incredibly still and silent for a few seconds, until I saw the pizza creep start to reach for something. I have no idea what it was, but as soon as I saw him reach, I told her to get down and I floored it. I pushed that pedal as hard as I could, and while I may have been driving an early 2000s Honda, that thing jumped in speed quickly. I aimed the car straight for him, and toward the shoulder, basically playing chicken with this guy. He was either going to get out of the way and let us pass, or be embarrassingly run over by my tiny-ass sedan. Thankfully, for his sake, he jumped out of the way, and I got past them on the shoulder. We kept going at max speed until I thought it was safe to slow down. Honestly, it was really weird, and... I realize now how dumb it was to do what I did. If he'd had a gun, he would have shot me and killed me while I was driving toward him. If he hadn't moved, I would have murdered him with my car and, well, that would have been a whole other situation. Alternatively, they could have chased us. And let me tell you that Ellis is one of the last small towns that have an actual presence until Colorado. It was a solid four hours to Denver, which was the next metropolitan, and I'm assuming that these guys wouldn't have been keen on letting us lead them for four hours without trying to ram us off the road. As lovely of a city as Ellis was, and as good as that pizza was, I don't think we're ever going to go back. On the way home, we actually took a different highway, just to avoid that part of Kansas altogether. I 
grew up in a small, local town. It's one of those that you would just pass through on your way to your destination. Hell, most people probably wouldn't even stop there nowadays. If it's not the lack of Wi-Fi, my parents still live there, and they use some crappy local service that gets like 5 megabits max, or the one hotel located there. It's nothing fancy, and usually just the home of meth users and runaways, that it has to be the homely look of the rusty metal siding and abandoned-looking farmhouses with the really creepy child swing in the front yard that actually drive people away. I was born and raised here in the 90s. I was a kid, so I was really naive and didn't realize until I was older how some things were actually weird and creepy about our town. Growing up, it seemed normal. Both of my parents raised me in the home given to them by my paternal grandfather. I went to the public school there. I made friends with the people in my class as well as some older and younger, as I was an only child. Nothing was ever too weird at the time. My friends and I would ride our bikes to the fire station on occasion to get sodas from the machine there, but I do remember my parents always telling me to take a specific route to avoid that neighborhood. I always thought the people were just mean or didn't like kids. I learned as I got older that the block was just a bunch of run-down and condemned houses that meth users and squatters took over. There was always something illegal and dangerous going on, so they of course didn't want to take any chances. Fair enough reason for me. So, as if I was on autopilot, that road didn't exist, and I always avoided it. Even now, when I go to visit my parents, I don't dare to walk or drive that way. Now, some may call this good or bad, but... Because of how small our town was, everyone knew everyone, and everyone knew your business. And that included this older lady that we called the neighborhood grandma. I called her Grandma Carol. She was always such a sweet and forgiving soul. She would make so many sweets during the holiday and bring them to the church, and she would pass them out to us kids on our way to the bus stop or at home. I remember her even bringing me a handmade scarf one year for Christmas and having dinner with us. She didn't have any kids, and she was never married. She said she could never find a man that could keep up with her, but she did have a dog. I believe it was a Boston Terrier, the small dog that always looks old and has a long mustache. His name was Prince, and she spoiled the hell out of him. He always had on different sweaters in the winter that she made, and I was so impressed by this that I actually went to her house once so she could teach me how to crochet. I still have the doll dresses that she helped me make. Carol was also very giving to our town. She was a lunch lady for a while, but she ended up retiring. She was also very active in the tiny church there, as mentioned, by making sweets and other food items for parties and ceremonies. She also made what she called a care package, 
which included long-life food items like canned goods, boxed meals, juices, etc., as well as small necessities, like small travel bottles of soaps and band-aids. She always included a card with a different Bible passage on each one, and she would drive them over to the forbidden neighborhood and hand them out. I remember my dad saying that she was crazy for it because they could easily overpower her and kill her, but she didn't see it that way. She brought them food and water and treated them like everyone else. They loved it. I remember one time my mom actually went with her and was telling me that when they saw Carol, one guy put out his cigarette dusted off his shirt and hands so he could hug her. He even helped pass out the gift baskets. My mom said that she even got worried at one point because one of them said something inappropriate, and the guy helping had this raging look in his eyes, and he just smacked him on the head and told him to apologize to them. But Carol never had a concern being around them. She was always fine with them, and even stayed and tried playing with the kids. Carol really made a difference to them, which makes this whole situation even stranger. I was in middle school at the time. The school year was almost over, and next year I would be going to high school. I was planning on going to Carol's when I got home because she agreed to help me make treats for our school graduation that was going to be that Friday. I got home grabbed some of the ingredients that we had bought so not to use up hers. I told my mom I was going and headed over to her place. When I got there, I noticed that her gate was open. She had a beautiful front yard. She loved gnomes, and they were all over the place, in different poses, different sizes, and she was quite proud of it. But I also know that she always kept the gate closed because she would let Prince run around while she was working on her yard. So, I found that strange, but still a kid, so the thought didn't stay long. I got up to the door and knocked, and I waited as I looked around. When she didn't come to the door, I rang the doorbell. Maybe I was being impatient, but I remember it feeling like I waited forever. After a while, I tried the door, and it was locked, so I carefully walked to the back to make sure I didn't step on any flowers, and I noticed that the door was cracked open. I knew it wasn't okay to go into someone's house without permission, so I yelled for her. I called for her a few times, and I even called for Prince because he always came running to the door. Now... Even as a kid, this seemed very off, and I started getting scared. So I left all my supplies sitting on her porch, and I ran home to tell my mom. She thought maybe she was just in the bathroom or fell asleep and forgot to shut her door, so she called her. When she didn't answer, my mom and I drove back over there. She told me to stay on the front porch, and she went around the back. After several minutes, she came back to me with my supplies and told us that we needed to go home. Once I was home, I wasn't really told much, but I do remember her telling me to go to the kitchen to make my treats, and 
And that's about when the police showed up. My mom went outside to talk to them, and then they left. I found out after a while that Carol was missing. My mom tried not to scare me, but at least tell me what was going on. She said when she went in there, neither Carol nor Prince were anywhere to be found, and she wanted to make sure that she was okay, so she called the police. Not only our home, but the entire town was affected by this. It wasn't the same. There were many rumors, some hateful comments, and some flat-out crazy conspiracies. This was over 20 years ago, and Carol still has not been found. As I got older, my parents explained to me more as to what happened, and I would get little bits of information from people still living there. My mom explained that when she went in, her TV was on and the kitchen table still had a bowl of oatmeal sitting on it. Her medication was also sitting next to her breakfast, but hadn't been taken for that day. It was one of those weekly pillboxes. Now, I remind you, we noticed this after I got off of school, so around three or four. Way past the time that she would have taken her meds and eaten breakfast. She said that Prince's food bowl was either empty or knocked over, which that bowl was never empty, and that her purse was sitting open on her bed. My mom knew pretty quickly that something was wrong because she didn't leave home without her purse, and when she was home, it was always sitting on her kitchen table. The fact that it was in her bedroom and open was not right. I heard from a lot of people that the police couldn't find any evidence, such as a break-in, no blood, nothing else seemed disturbed, but they definitely felt there was foul play. A lot of people accused the addicts, including my father, which is possible. Maybe someone was high and thought they could get money out of her or something, but I didn't feel the same way. She was the only person that didn't see them as less of a person. She tried helping them, and they seemed like they had a lot of respect for her too. I get some people are just unstable and unpredictable, but I think they were just as shaken up. But that didn't stop them from being harassed and interrogated, I heard. The only thing that ever gave us hope, but also tore us down more, was a few years after her disappearance. My mom told me when I came home from high school, there was a group of women that got together to play bunko at night, and as one of them was leaving, she heard barking. When she finally saw where it was coming from, she noticed it was a small gray dog that looked malnourished and in need of a bath. She brought the dog back inside the home when she started realizing he looked just like Prince. Surprisingly, she confirmed it when she called him by his name and he responded. So, here's Carol's dog, alive, covered in dirt, oil, and starving, but definitely alive. It had given us hope for a while that Carol may have been close and even alive, but then people feared that if Prince was alone... That would mean something bad had happened, as 
she would never leave him. It's still a mystery to our little town, but I had to move out after graduating. Not only did I need to relocate in order to get any kind of career, but that was all anyone ever talked about. I miss her, as she was like a grandmother to me, but hearing about it day in and day out takes a toll on you. I hope we get closure one day, but I also don't want to hear that they found her in any condition other than happily making blankets and cookies in seclusion. The town that I grew up in is considered to be a fairly small town overall. It's basically made up of continuations of previous generations. And while they may have recently gotten a Sonic's drive-in and a Dollar General, it is still and forever will be a super small town in north-central Colorado. Most people think of Denver when you mention the area, but we're actually a solid hour, hour and a half away. I spent most of my life in the arms of what was basically the middle of nowhere, but unlike the rest of my graduating class of 30, I ended up moving out further west when I hit 20. So, I know both sides of life. This tiny town that no one's heard of, and the big cities out on the coast. What's weird? Life in the small town is actually more terrifying, in my opinion. Sure, Living in Cali, you may get robbed or accosted by someone on some sort of substance, but at least you can expect it. For some reason, learning about the horrors of your hometown tends to blindside you. Or at least it did me. I don't know. Maybe not all small towns have secrets that they hold on to like mine does. Or maybe they do. My hometown actually had a few things that everyone knew about, but nobody spoke about. Some of them happened in my grandparents' time, some of them in my parents', but they were some of the best-kept secrets around, honestly. The one thing I learned was that I apparently had an aunt at one time. Back when I was around 15, my grandma accidentally slipped up and called me Nance. My name is certainly not Nance, Nancy, or any variation of that. I asked her who Nance was, and I remember when I asked, she looked like she was about to seriously burst into tears. She said that she couldn't tell me, but that I should talk to my father about it. I honestly had no idea who they were, nor did I expect what my dad told me. Apparently, Nancy lovingly referred to as Nance by my grandmother, was my aunt, my father's older sister. And this took me by surprise, as I never knew that I had a paternal aunt. I thought my father was an only child, mostly because I had never seen a photo of this woman, never heard her name mentioned, and I had never spoken to her. Obviously, I was curious about who she was, where she was and why she hadn't been around, and I wish that I would have quelled that curiosity, because it was pretty horrible. 
I was informed that back when my father was 12 and my aunt Nancy was 14, she had apparently gone missing. There was one night back then that she went out with her friends and she just never came home. At first, my grandma thought it wasn't a huge deal. She was just out there and being stupid. But then, by morning, it was apparent to her that something had to have gone wrong. He told me that my aunt was a straight-A student and would have likely graduated valedictorian, but that night she seemingly vanished. This was obviously creepy to me. I had never expected to have an aunt that was a missing person. Then, he told me that she was not a missing person. She was murdered. He went on to tell me that when she went missing, the whole town went into what was essentially a small town lockdown. They put a curfew into effect, and every adult was on the lookout for Nancy. They seriously combed every inch of the city and spoke to everyone they could to see if anyone had known of her whereabouts. They had spoken to the friends that my aunt had gone out with, and they all told the same story. They were out, basically loitering wherever, and a police officer pulled up with his lights on. They said that the officer rolled down the window and called out to Nancy, and that she ran over to speak to the officer. Apparently, she then turned around yelled to them that she needed to go, and got in the car. And that was it. The biggest issue with this is that not a single one of her friends had seen his face. None of them could describe him at all, and there were no extra details in the car that made it stand out, and none of them had gotten a license plate. A year after she had disappeared, everyone had pretty much given up on ever finding her alive when someone actually ended up finding what looked like a shallow grave in a creek bed that had receded. The police came out, and they dug it up, and, as you can probably guess, they found the body of my aunt. Based on how she was buried, they assumed that she was sexually assaulted, and the cause of death was determined to be strangulation. At this point... The only thing anyone knew was that the last person to see her alive was a police officer, but there was literally no information on who it was. Then, he explained that, not long after they found her body, two police officers resigned from the force. One of them had a daughter of his own and was married, and the other was just the opposite. Single, no kids. The one with the family left town. No one has any idea where he went. The other officer actually became the physical education teacher at the high school that I graduated from, and was also the football coach. I saw this man almost every day for four years, and every single day after learning this, I had to think that he may have seriously assaulted and murdered my aunt. The worst part? There's no way that we'll ever know what actually happened to her, mostly because of how much damage had been done to her body over the year. There was no physical evidence, no DNA that they could find, no prints or anything like that. Just a dead girl and silent suspicions. 
Apparently, the entire town, for lack of a better word, knew that these two were involved. The timing was too suspicious, and it was apparently believed that their higher-ups may have been aware of the situation. But, like I said, nothing ever happened to them. One is gone, and the other still teaches high school gym class. Honestly, it was just one more reason to get the hell out of there when I got the chance to do so. That was a legitimately terrifying collection of small-town horror stories. I am beyond happy that I don't live in a small town. Um, living in the third most populated city of my state now has its advantages. And those advantages are... I don't have to deal with the craziness of a small town. I don't really know where I was going with that statement, but, you know, it is what it is. If you enjoyed this video, please consider hitting that little thumbs up button. If you're new to the channel, I really hope you would consider subscribing and, you know, maybe turning on that bell notification thingy to let you know whenever I put out a new video. I do so pretty frequently. If you really, really enjoyed the video, put a comment down below. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know which story was your favorite. And let me know where you live. Not in the creepy way. In the do you live in a small town? Never mind. Um, anyways, if you really want to support the channel uh, further, you can do so by joining my Patreon, channel memberships, or support over coffee. All patrons and channel members get early access to my content, and most patrons and members get an extra two videos every month. Some of them being original stories that are uh, specific for other channels. This month's second one is actually going to be my version of Songbird, which was narrated on, I believe, Madam Raven's uh, collab, and then also on PA Nightmares' channel, but has never been on my channel, so members will get to hear me narrate that more again, I guess. Anyway, all that said, friends, I hope you guys are looking forward to an amazing June, because it's coming fast, and I guarantee you, you guys are going to love the videos I have planned. I have my June and July videos already planned out, surprisingly, for the most part, so that's exciting. I love you all. You are valid, you are loved, you are important, and you are appreciated, and you should never, ever let anyone tell you otherwise. And I hope that until the next video, you sleep well.